Hi, this is C. Travis Webb, editor of The American Age, and this is my note on last week's podcast. Uh, We discussed uh, two things. We discussed uh, Elon Musk's potential takeover of Twitter and uh, abortion, uh, the potential uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade. Um, And I know the plan is to pick up the abortion uh, discussion again this uh, coming week. Um. I I don't want to front load too much the discussion that we'll you know continue to have around abortion. Um, I will say that while you know I I feel compelled to regularly make clear my generally liberal positions um, because the environment, the cultural environment is so fraught and people are so ready to to jump on potential traders in their mists midst or you know snitches in the gang that are you know really revealing um their turncoat status and their commitment to you know evil conservative or trump principles or whatever have you whatever nonsense obviously you can tell from my tone i think it's bullshit um, and I don't think being a conservative is a terrible thing. And I think, you know, there are a lot of things to recommend a go slow method. And it is wrong to liken uh, conservative positions to uh, every conservative position to conservative positions, say, in, you know, uh, the civil rights era. Because they're not, not all contests are of equal import. They're just not. Um, and, you know, so the Roe v. Wade thing, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure that it is something that the courts should settle. Um, because while I do very earnestly believe that uh, abortion should be protected, it should be a protected right for women, uh, because I believe in the principle of bodily autonomy, and I believe that governments, since they are, the last time I checked, uh, and we have not, you know, turned it over to algorithms or artificial intelligence yet. And intelligence yet, governments are run by people, and uh, people make errors all the time. Experts make errors all the time. PhDs make errors all the time. And, you know, having have have having earned one, and being wrong a lot, uh, I can attest to that fact. Uh, Clearly, there's a place for expertise, uh, an important place for expertise in society, and I, I value expertise, and I value knowledge. Um, but governments are incredibly fallible because they're staffed by people, and people are incredibly fallible. And so I think you have to wall some things off, and bodily autonomy is one of them. This is why I am totally and completely opposed to vaccine mandates, and why, as I've said on the podcast, I believe it is entirely hypocritical for anyone to uh, vehemently support vaccine mandates um, around a disease of this uh, severity and a vaccine of this level of effectiveness, meaning a disease that is not severe for the vast majority of the population and a vaccine which has limited efficacy against transmission and appears to even maybe have negative efficacy after about five to seven months. There was a JAMA article uh, that came out uh, uh, just a couple days ago that, that seemed to suggest this, at least in younger people. 
but whatever, it's not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to relitigate that issue. Uh, if we were talking about uh, a sterilizing vaccine and um, yellow fever or some, you know, this would be a different discussion. It, this is, there are clearly times in which uh, principles have to be restrained for the greater good. You know, their very famous one, yelling fire in a crowded theater um, is not an exercise in free speech. This is a, an act of, of uh, aggression and violence uh, that would easily lead to injury. So there are times that you have to restrict it, but those times need to be um, very slowly considered and very uh, judiciously applied, uh, meaning that they should not be uh, done uh, thoughtlessly. Um, and so in that, for that reason, um, you know, I'm very much in favor of a woman's right to choose, even though, as I've said also on the podcast, abortions are ugly. These are usually hard decisions for people to make. A lot of the glee and um, rhetorical levity that some people bring to abortion, uh, to me, indicates that these are people who have not been confronted with the weight of that decision, uh, as uh, many women have and many families have. Uh, and basically, I'm just saying that I think abortion is a hard choice. And I think we, you know, uh, people are vegetarian for far smaller harms than uh, aborting human beings. Even though, again, you know, just to, to reiterate, you know, we have to we have to protect that right because of uh, government intrusion. Um, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more uh, next week. Um, but the thing, yeah, it was kind of a long segue, uh, unintended actually. The, the main thing that for my note that I wanted to remark on that we really didn't get a chance to talk about, um, and it's a quote, you know, next time I talk to Seth about uh, something, you know, in a more relaxed setting or Stephen in a more relaxed setting, um, I, I just, I wonder, aren't people tired of being so upset all the time about everything like the sky has been falling since 2016 like everything is on fire all the time everywhere and there's not enough water to put it out and it, haven't we had enough of that like isn't elon musk taking over twitter really not going to seriously impact anyone in any real way i mean you are subjected to more aggressive tweets let's say the worst version of musk's twitter is that uh people are more aggressive on like verbally online i mean it's hard to imagine them being more aggressive than posting uh uh, social or social media posts about you know the glee with which unvaccinated people are dying, for example, or the harms that that both sides wish upon the other. So I don't really see a intensifying snarkiness and veiled threats and bad jokes and insensitivities proliferating on Twitter. Uh, a real harm. I, I just, these are not real harms. These are, these are harms only in an, in a thoroughly decadent society, a society filled with people who have aristocratic concerns. 
uh, no one that is working two jobs to afford their overpriced rent in Orange County, Orange County, California, or in a suburb of New York gives a flying fuck about Elon Musk buying Twitter. They just, you know, I'm, I'm not saying no one, I'm sure there's someone out there that does, but most of them just don't. When you look at the list of concerns that people have, um, there was just that Pew poll that came out. People are concerned about inflation. People are concerned about $6 out here in California, $6, $6 plus a gallon of gas. People are concerned about not having enough money to be able to drive to work. People are concerned about not having enough money to buy food or baby formula for uh, their kids because they can't breastfeed for whatever reason. The, <laughs> the list of things that we should be that people not we should that, that people are concerned about that make up the bulk of this country dwarf Elon Musk. They dwarf Musk's preoccupations. They, they dwarf his Twitter beefs. Uh, they, they dwarf Rachel Maddow's indignation at whatever fill in the blank, like millions, hundreds of millions of people in this country and around the world, certainly, but let's just stick with the United States have real serious struggles Serious struggles, real inequities exist, real inequalities exist. We minted more billionaires in the last 20 years per capita than at any point in history, even accounting for things like inflation. Like the, the divide between haves and have nots is a giant gulf. And these are just distractions. You know, I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying, you know, redistribute all the wealth, but we clearly have some work to do in this country around how we're taxing people, um, how we're zoning our cities, um, how we're educating our kids. Like these are real problems that are going to be with us for generations. And the must thing just, it, it just, it doesn't, it's not even on the anywhere on the Richter scale. It's like what the weather is like today. And these other issues are tectonic and they're enormous and they are riveting the country. Um, and I hope that we can find our way back to some more serious discussions about ways uh, to improve um, our time on the planet here in this nation and then, of course, around the world as well. Um, that's it. That's my, my two cents for what they're worth. Um, uh, really appreciate your time, of course. And I look forward to talking to Stephen and Seth uh, this coming week. Take care. Hello, this is Stephen G. Fullwood, and here's my coda to last week's episode on Elon Musk and his purchasing of Twitter or attempting to and the uh, leaked Supreme Court decision intending to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, I feel like the world is always on fire these days. It's been that way even before the Trump administration, before COVID. And I feel like I was just about to kind of sit down, even after Elon Musk and Twitter and all that, the, the uproar about that. And then the Supreme Court um, decision gets leaked. And here we are dealing and thinking. And so I just have questions. I have questions. And I'll start with the Elon Musk Twitter um, issue. What is the value of free speech when some use it to abuse and demean others intentionally? 
What does it mean to spread disinformation? How do you hold people accountable for that? In fact, what is accountability's role in free speech? How can we both strengthen the nation's institutions while simultaneously being fiercely critical of them? That is, to hold them accountable. Mostly, how can we stop billionaires and um, other forms of monopolies of having the power to steer so much of our politics, social life, entertainment, etc.? This really sticks in my crawl. And when it comes to abortion rights, which is roughly just 49 years, you know, just shy of 50 years, one year. And so I turned to an article on NPR called uh, What Conservative Justices Said and Didn't Say About Rural at Their Confirmation Hearings by Becky Sullivan. This article came out May 3rd, 2022. And so, of course, we've all been hearing about what Alito said and then what he's now saying in this leaked Supreme Court decision. But I wanted to read it to you guys. Um, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start is what he wrote in the draft opinion. But during his confirmation hearing in 2020, excuse me, 2006, he declined to say much directly about it, but he called it an important precedent of the Supreme Court, but stopped short of calling it settled law. And what he said was Roe versus Wade is an important precedent of the Supreme Court. It was decided in 1973, so has been on the books for a long time. Uh, it is a precedent that has now been on the books for several decades. It has been challenged. It has been reaffirmed. But it is an issue that is involved in the litigation now at all levels. Gorsuch took an uncontroversial line that Roe is a precedent. Precedent is the anchor of law, he said. It is the starting place for a judge. When it comes to Kavanaugh, he told Susan Collin in a private meeting that he considered Roe versus Wade to be settled law. Um... And then, like, I keep thinking that didn't all of them lie, just straight out perjure themselves, particularly what, particularly Alito, because he is the guy who was writing this and the others just fucking signed on. Like, can you hold a Supreme Good Justice or any justice at any level for perjury? They were these confirmations here is they swore on a Bible. Now, really, I realize that what I just read and somehow in terms of their positionality when it came to their confirmation hearings, but it still fucking bothers me. Like just be, no, be honorable to your actual truth, but whatever. I mean, again, I'm just kind of bored, but the last question I have is there are many things that are not covered in the constitution. And I say that because I was reading through the draft decision and, and it, one of the things that Lito consistently repeats is that it's not constitutional. It's not this. It's not, I mean, it, it rang, it came up uh, several times. And so I was just thinking about other things that are not covered in the constitution, like interracial marriage, same sex marriage, civil rights. What's next? That's all I have to say. Thank you. Hello, this is Seth Rodney. I'm speaking to you on Monday, May 16th. I'm a bit late with my note this week. This note is for the podcast, The American Age. I'm picking up on the conversation that Stephen, Travis, and I had the last episode where we talked about um, Elon Musk preparing to purchase Twitter. We talked about banning people from the platform, Twitter consisting of what some would call a marketplace of ideas. I don't like that terminology. 
uh, we talked about the degree to which the government, the federal government, has say in how we live our lives, um, the degree to which the government can govern what we eat, what we drink, what exists in the air, uh, and in some instances, what we say. And Travis made a point about Twitter being needing to be a place that essentially allowed for the free exchange of ideas that was essentially unregulated because for him, regulation is the start of strangling real human uh, curiosity and innovation and puts, I think, it's hard to speak for him, maybe I shouldn't, but I think, I mean, what I understand from what he's arguing is that Twitter should be a place where uh, there are guardrails, but where people are essentially, for the most part, allowed to just figure things out for themselves. Uh, I He also asked a question whether I would be, when I talked about it needing it being necessary to ban people, I said... Uh, I said that, uh, or rather he questioned whether I would be okay with Twitter banning someone I liked. So I should name someone I liked who should be banned from Twitter. And I said at the time that that was a good question, but now I don't think it is. Now I think it's actually the wrong question because what it assumes is that I'm arguing for in a kind of hypocritical way, I'm saying I really want uh, people I don't like off the site, but that's not the criterion. The criterion for me is whether people are saying things that are dangerous, that cause uh, genuine, verifiable, uh, physical, and uh, potentially political, uh, that, okay, so that gets a little fuzzy, but let's say physical and, po- and political harm to people. And I know that, that the devil's in the details here. But the c- c- case is that nobody who does that happens to be someone I like. So the question is off. It's, and, uh, it, presumes that the criterion is my liking or disliking someone, and it's not. It's actually about the degree to which certain people, a.k.a. Agent Orange, and uh, people like uh, the Sandy Hook guy, Alex Jones, and people like Tucker Carlson, who actively lie and misinform people and gin up a very identifiable constituency to hate and to actively work against the the causes or the the supports for people of color. Uh, uh, I, I just feel... 
I just think I could, we need to ask the right questions. And I, and I don't know that that's the question we need to be asking. I think we need to be asking the questions. One of the questions we need to be asking is, is this person causing verifiable harm, physical harm, political harm? Are they actually reducing someone else's life chances? And I think in the case of Alex Jones, it's very clear that he, he does do precisely that. The people who were the victims of Sandy Hook, who sued him successfully, uh, were hounded out of their houses. Uh, they had to move several times because they were the victims of actual harassment, physical and mental harassment and violence. Uh, you can, it's harder to make a case for someone like Tucker Carlson, but I think I could, I could and can. And, and I think it's important to have someone be on the case and, uh, and err on the side of making people feel safe rather than allowing for a quote unquote free marketplace of ideas. And that's, that's, this the position I'm taking until I find evidence to the contrary that's convincing enough for me to change it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>